0: This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world famous comedy seller, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog, and wherever podcasts are available. This is Dan Natterman. I'm here with Noam Dorman, the owner of the world famous comedy seller. Woo And newly famous political pundit as well, Noam.
1: In the house, in the house. Dan, Perry, in the
0: house. We got Peril Brand here, who's our producer, and uh, she, she is an on air personality as well. That's just sort of how things evolved. We got uh, Dove David off. Who is a uh, a recurring fan, friend, and fan of the show? But we were talking uh, before. Uh, Can not we afford some decent headphones? What the fuck? The <laughs> show about Gnome's uh, newfound fame. Gnome just to uh, recap interviewed uh, Philip Bump from the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago.
1: Dan, we got a comment that your that your comment that you were the best thing about last week's podcast when you did the McLaughlin Group thing.
0: Okay, these, well these headphones do work. Oh, okay. For those who actually know the McLaughlin Group, <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, uh, Noam grilled Mr. Bump about Hunter Biden and his involvement with barisma and uh, the mainstream picked it up. And- I mean, people might be sick of this, but let me just say, let me just
1: say that um, uh, two two things did make me happy. First of all, that. Uh, the New York Times apparently has changed their verbiage on the way they discuss this. They no longer say "there's no evidence." They say "there's no hard evidence," and I'm taking full.
0: And that's been credited to you on Twitter.
2: Well, yeah, uh, people have, which is a tacit acknowledgement that something untoward happened. It's just no hard evidence.
1: People have speculated that um, that I had some impact on the national debate, which I think I think I think he yeah. did because, uh, yeah. but uh, but then this dude Phil Bump, yes, he's still now listen after he was here. You know me, I was like, let's get together, let's have a drink. You know, I'm not because. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, have actually, yeah, I have salty. Yeah, I have a lot of friends actually that I've met uh, through. Sure. Have it out, whatever it is. But anyway. Yeah. So he, he, he takes to the. What is, what is all the activity? He takes to the. Um, Twitter? He takes to the Washington Post. Now, those headphones are. You got to tell the boss to just lift the budget out a little bit. And, I uh, believe
3: we've told him that.
1: And I believe I've said, get whatever you need. Uh, no, because your head's a funny shape, Perio. Okay, let's just go. No,
2: he self-generated a conspiracy theory about there being a, a no. He, a said, setup?
1: He, he said two things here, and I t- I tweeted at him today. Of course, he doesn't answer, but I demand. I demand. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I demand a retraction yes. from the Washington Post. Yes, because this is reckless disregard for the truth. As we know, this is the standard. Yes, he wrote the following in the in the Post. He wrote in the Washington Post. He wrote the following. Dun dun dun. Uh, he says uh, then a snippet of the interview was taken out of context to suggest that i've been so flummoxed that means uh like bewildered peril so flummoxed <laughs> that i'd walked that i that i'd walked out of the interview something that i didn't do as the youtube page for the interview admits but i understand the appeal instead of acknowledging that 75 minutes into a 45-minute interview, I was disinterested in speculating on something that was outside the purview of what I was there to talk about. It was much more appealing to suggest that the mainstream media was very scared of hard questions. So, first of all, he was not there for 75 minutes. He was there for 61 minutes and something seconds. Uh-huh. Now, maybe almost 62 minutes. And at 58 minutes, well, earlier on he said he said, but 58 minutes he was already freaking out. We told him, and I posted it, the interview will be about 45 minutes. Now, we've had hundreds of guests on this podcast, Periel. We
3: certainly have.
1: Not one has ever objected to an hour, not being about forty-five minutes.
3: Or they've said, "I'm sorry, I need to leave." At like I've had a hard out.
1: If they had a hard out, like nobody's were,
3: being held hostage. They either. warn us
1: of the heart. No, what I'm saying is that. But this has nothing to do with uh, the among centrally. grown-ups who are used to podcasts and political exchanges. You know that almost always, or go, or a visit to the doctor, or anywhere else in the world <laughs> that runs fourteen minutes later than you thought it would. Yeah. What
2: do you mean? Are you an adult? That's twelve not,
1: years old. But does, no, but he has to. But but facts matter. He cannot write. I was there for seventy-five minutes. Yes, yes. when there was hard video evidence. Well, facts don't matter to him. That he was your point. So now, I feel like the Washington, I know it's 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 a trivial matter, but if it's worth writing about, it's worth getting it right. Why not put? I was there for two hours. Why not- I was there for. <laughs> I hours. spent the night in Gnome's out. I mean, the the obvious answer is well, if you if you can ask actually ascertain how long you were there, that's what it should be. And by the way, years ago when the when the New York when the New Yorker wrote an article about the moving of the table, mm-hmm. that's how I met Periel. They busted my balls about inches. I said, I think, it's, uh, I think they moved it a foot. And they said, is it exactly a foot? And I'm like, I don't know, 11 uh, inches, 13 inches. said, would you please go measure it for us? So I went and actually measured because they wanted the exact number. It was a trivial difference. Yeah. But this is not so trivial because an hour is kind of about 45 and 75 minutes might actually be pushing it, right? So that's why he says, it. so that's, number, that's not true. The second thing that's not true is that it was outside the purview of what I was there to talk about. It was,
2: it was precisely within the purview of de- what, what you were about. It was the Devin
1: talk. Archer interview, and as it pertains to Hunter Biden and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I, I even looked up the word uh, purview and I, I asked ChatGPT, Yes. Is, uh, you know, are related topics considered the purview? And ChatGPT is like, What are you, an idiot? <laughs> 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 and I, said, uh, and I said, uh, they said, Yes, of course. It's 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 not be the exercise. It's natural for conversations to take t- 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 turns yeah. and and get so yes, um, related topics certainly w- yeah. would be the purview. And and why is this related? Because how you interpret what Archer was saying in the Hunter Biden thing, this is a relevant piece of other information which would make you more or less likely to think that Archer meant this or that. So if if there was text messages saying, you know, dad has never ever I've never ever given a dime to Dad, and you know, blah blah blah. Then, of course, Philip Bump would say, "Well, why would you think Archer meant that? Haven't you seen the private text messages where it's been, where they talk about very clearly that there's no his father's never involved? So obviously, this is this is evidence. So anyway, it it it's it's, it's callow. You know what so, callow means, Pearl? I
3: know it, what asshole means.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <That's good. laughs> it, it's a it's a callow thing for yeah. a professional in journalism in also opinion. to suggest yeah. that you were being
2: disingenuous you know or that there was some well he was conspiratorial he, he wasn't was aiming not at in me. there
1: oh and then the other thing is i did say on the youtube page that he didn't walk out because he didn't technically walk out he he did ask for leave in a, in, a, in, a, in a, in a, in a, you know, with manners. I don't want to walk out, you know, are you gonna just, are you going to force me to walk out? Right. So he didn't walk out, but what he did do was weaponize the clock. He was like, Hey, I gotta go. I gotta go. You know, when that
0: really wasn't it. Right.
2: Um, well, he'd been saying that for a while. I mean, I left at you know, minute
1: 35, right, But
0: does he have he was... anything to say about his performance? About- no. So that, and that's, that's
1: what I said. You know, if I were him, what I would do is Great, Roy Tusscher is here. Tushara. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. Two, sec- two seconds. Yes, Roy. Hello. Uh, what, what I would do if I were him, and we've all had to do things like this, I'd write a column. I'd say, "Listen, you know what? I lost my shit a little bit. Uh, that's never a good look. But let me let me answer these questions and tell you what it is that I should have said, and then and then and then proceed to." Too. If
2: he had that level of self awareness, it probably wouldn't have been such a contentious interview because
1: what he step was reasonable. So maybe, and then proceed to explain why. You know, I think that this is probably exaggerated. I don't know what to make of it, or right. God forbid, you know, he, he does have a point. Maybe somebody should ask him oh, whatever it is. You could instead he's still not dealing with it. He's just, in my opinion, just digging his deeper now he's saying things that well,
2: aren't but the true. psyche that precedes that observation is the one that argued unreasonable points when faced with the kind of specificity that you communicated. well it you said un- you say
1: they're, unreasonable. they're inseparable but he actually the the, the part that he got um, really hoisted on uh, and we didn't make that clip to be fair I, I've said before I, I chose not to make any clips so I didn't want to use that uh, was simply he just he wouldn't answer he didn't even make any points wouldn't answer anyway. So come on, let's let's get. To All right,
0: we got with us uh, Rui Teixeira. Am I pronouncing that right or roughly? Teixeira, Teixeira.
1: I told you. To, I listen. I told him Teixeira like five <laughs> I times. I just said Teixeira. <laughs> what are you so gonna do? Arrogant. This is why <laughs> Phil Bump hates him, and this is why he. Was...
0: <laughs> okay, Rui Teixeira is a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on the transformation of party coalitions and the future of American electoral politics. Welcome. Rui, to our podcast.
1: Now, just before we uh, get started, you you quote Harry Anton a lot, correct?
4: I do. Yes, indeed. Uh, Harry is one of my dearest friends. Yeah, you know, Harry's an excellent analyst. I I religiously read his stuff. He's,
1: he's, uh, Harry is one of these people. And, you know, you might not believe it if you didn't know him. He really doesn't care about the politics. He doesn't care about partisanship. He's, he's... Like computer, like focused on just making sure that he's analyzing it correctly. Let Mm -hmm. the chips fall where they may.
2: I've seen him in a suit jacket and shorts, just to make (laughs) put an exclamation point on that.
1: Yes, that's what he was wearing. (laughs) We all love Harry. So so anyway, so um, uh, so you, I'm on your list, but I don't, you know, I get I'm on a lot of lists and I don't read everything that comes across, but I did read your um, post about the. I forget what it's called, but about all the various things that like 75 to 85% of the country agrees with, that neither right.
4: yes. political mm-hmm. party
1: will actually put up a candidate who says these things. Right. And uh this struck a chord with me because I've felt this way for a long time. And I've discovered by saying things on the podcast to people on the left and the right that most people are pretty reasonable about things. So um, I want to talk about this. Maybe, maybe the way to jump into it is I can read some of them, and then uh, you can uh, we can use that as a, as a jumping off point. But before I do, is there anything that you want to say to, to frame this discussion?
4: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think uh, what we're talking about here is uh, you know common sense to the American people. It's uh, it exists. Uh, it's not catered to by either political party, really, but it, but it's there and it's uh, close to consensual, and it's really too bad. Uh, we don't hear more about it because uh you know people aren't as crazy as <laughs> as folks think no they're not um so i anyway, so go ahead Doug. do you want to say something
2: yeah to substantiate the point you're both making is that i believe the number is six percent of of the 75 of the tweets are generated by six percent of the people which would suggest that there is a relative minority hollering and that a lot of people in the middle with common sense are not hollering but we spend time talking about people that are hollering. No, Mr. Tushara?
4: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. The people Thank who you, tweet Steve. extensively are completely unrepresentative. Yes. The American yeah. electorate. And, you know, they tend to be more people on the left than the right. So you get a particular, yes. you know, slice of very left wing, very online people pronouncing with great authority on everything all the time. But it really has almost nothing to do with what ordinary people think. Loud vitriol, and it's very confusing for people.
1: And uh, and I guess I would say that the uh, what I've called in the past the Wizard of Oz effect, Wizard yes. <laughs> Wizard of Oz effect. Yes. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain of Twitter, yes, where this small number of people really appears as all great and powerful. Sure. And and I've, I've I've experienced it. This keeps a lot of people in line in Short a way beer. that uh, you know they they just don't realize that the wizard's a little guy behind It's like curtain. an
2: Australian cattle dog running around 200 sheep, but they don't realize that all the barking is coming from one little hound.
1: How long have you been holding that analogy? <laughs> <laughs> Six years I've been working on that one. No,
4: man.
3: i the of that it's analogy.
4: <laughs> you want to say something, Rui? No, no, I was just oh, okay. complimenting on him. was uh, his trope there. You can use that, by
1: the way. <laughs> okay, number one, uh, uh, equality of opportunity is a fundamental American principle. Equality of outcome is not. Seventy three percent of Americans agree. Uh, so what's going on there?
4: Well, what's going on is, you know, equality of opportunity as a close to a true consensus among American voters as you can get. We're talking about 90 plus percent. But the idea that people should, uh, you know, as you divide them up into buckets, all have equal outcomes is is actually pretty foreign. Uh- to most people in the United States. And now this, is, um, this has become, you know, part of the standard talking points of, of the Democratic Party and particularly the li- left of the Democratic Party. Really, I think... We can't just talk about equality of opportunity. We have to make sure everything turns out like everybody gets all the same stuff. And uh, that is just, uh, count, you know, it's, this is not that's not the American way. And it's not what most people think. They think you should be rewarded for achievement and hard work.
0: But Rui, I think where but there everyone is should
4: a, have a good opportunity.
0: I think where there is a great deal of disagreement is is when you have inequality of outcome. What's the reason for it? And I think that's where you get into mm-hmm. very, very sharp differences of opinion.
4: Absolutely, a- absolutely. And that's the crux
0: of the matter, because I think you're right. Everybody would say equality of outcome is, is not important. What's important is equality of opportunity. But when we have a qua- inequality of outcome. What do we attribute that to? And that's where we run into an enormous, enormous. Uh, sure.
4: I mean, for example, um, you know, one way to interpret inequality of outcome might be that, uh, you know, people didn't have true equality of opportunity. Therefore, we should try to fix that. Another way to interpret it is it's a reflection of fundamental flaws in American society, discrimination, racism, whatever, that essentially can't be fixed, will never be fixed. So yeah. we just have to distribute equal outcomes to make up from that. Otherwise, right. Dismantle you know,
2: meritocracy, right which if extrapolated out in the long term, is unsustainable so as le- a country.
0: I mean, I, is America ready to just let the chips fall where they may? If we don't have as many women in the hard sciences, in the hard sciences. Are we ready to say, well, maybe women aren't interested in the hard sciences and maybe they're not as good at it.
4: Send your letters. Uh, Personally, I think, you know, that you have to face up to the facts that there are some differences. And, you know, for example, between men and women and men that may orient women toward being interested in certain subjects more than others. I mean, and the idea at this point, there's discrimination against women in STEM. Is it's completely ludicrous at this point. If anything, there there's a slight advantage to women in most of these fields who would yes. who would you know attain the desired uh, credentials, right? I mean, there's a desire to promote them. They, the the idea of they're being held back is ridiculous at this point.
0: Well, Periels. Okay. disagrees with her uh, facial expression
1: uh, that's the best that's her facial expression is the most convincing she is <laughs> <laughs> okay but let me let, let me throw something this related here because i have feelings about okay. this um no one is completely without bias except me no one is completely without <laughs> bias but calling all white people racists who benefit from white privilege in american society a white supremacist sis- i'm sorry let me read it again <laughs> But calling all white people racists who benefit from white privilege and American society, a white supremacist society is not right or fair. Seventy seven percent agree. Fifteen percent disagree.
4: Now, yeah, um, that's a good one, because I think it does represent this sort of vast disjuncture between what has become, you know, a talking point of the uh, the great and good and the people who sort of set the cultural tone for the country, particularly. Uh, p- people on the left. I mean, it's supposed to. We're all supposed to nod appreciatively in certain sectors of society when when these kinds of things are said. Of course, yes, we're all racist. Of course, America is a white supremacist society. But most people think that's crazy because yeah. they think, yeah, there's some racism in society, but it, to to characterize things in that way is neither right nor fair. Most people aren't racist. Most people do try to not see color. Most people are willing to give everyone a break. I mean, the idea that, you know, and calling it a white supremacist society is particularly ridiculous. So we're not in the 1860s anymore. We're not South Africa. I mean, this is just, I think for the standard of the meat, from the viewpoint of the median voter, that's just insane. But this is the sort of thing, again, you're supposed to in certain circles, not appreciatively when this is said, and to even, and to even uh, argue that that might not be true. Would probably get you targeted as a racist in, in a lot of uh, venues.
1: Can I add in my my current little spiel on this that I was thinking about, um, and w- where I where I have sensed a kind of resentment from people I know who are as left wing as people who might write for Mother Jones, and uh, and and people to the right of that. That um, people of, of uh, I don't know forty and older, we were raised. On the idea that Martin Luther King's judge people by the content of your character, character content of their character, not the color of their skin, was um, an irrefutable, elegant, EMC square type argument. Uh-huh. So, so powerful was this argument, in my opinion, <clears throat> that even hardened racists had to kind of cop to it, even, even if they didn't believe it, they, they didn't dare deny it. In the same way, uh, it reminds me of like North Korea will probably have the word, the Democratic Republic of North Korea. Like, you know, these hardened dictators will use the word democracy in the names of their country because everybody knows that democracy is something you have to pay lip service to. Mm -hmm. And what happened is on the left, they introduced this virus, which is just wreaking havoc. And the virus is that you should judge everybody by the content of their character except white people. And with, if it's somebody white, you're perfectly free to say, we've heard enough white people talking about this. And, oh, uh, yeah, she's a character.
2: I would argue it goes further than that and that to judge people by the content of their character is unfair uh, if
1: they come from an environment where they weren't able to develop character oh. by way of structural inefficiency. Fine. But, you know, there's, but there's more merit to that. My point is that yeah. they've, they've upended the entire intellectual basis of what it is we were taught, which was everybody's an individual. Yeah. And unless you have some reason, as uh, some context, well, this person came from a very hard scrabble life, and you know, of course, then you then you have to bring that into account. But the Mm -hmm. idea that that our most uh, respected and supposedly intellectual leaders will get away with saying, "I think we've heard enough from
4: white people," Uh, you know, (laughs) I don't want to read anything from white people. This makes crazy. Yeah, judging arguments and. Ideas, views, accomplishments, whatever, by virtue of the color of someone's skin is like a really bad idea. And that's something that was rejected widely in our society, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And that's a great thing. I mean, universalist humanism, right? That we are all in fact equal fundamentally, and we all should be judged by what we actually do, not what we look like, was a, was is a great world historic advance in human understanding. And the left used to embrace that. They were the ones who were pushing that forward. And arguing, right. and, you know, very compellingly that if you stand in the way of that, you, you really are on the wrong side of history. But now this kind of weird, as you say, virus has taken over where oh, we can't say that. I mean, you know, if Martin Luther King said that today and nobody knew who he was, some people would probably call him a racist. You know, but I think it's, it's worth bizarre. mentioning.
2: It's worth mentioning again, Mr. Touchera, that um, that it, it, it's only a virus that seems to have taken hold of that six percent. And then it, it we talk about it a lot, but I don't mm-hmm. think anybody shares that experience of reality with the exception of well, 6% of my mother.
0: <laughs> you know, I, 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 I certainly meet a lot of people that will agree with uh, the point that they don't feel white people have a right to talk about. Uh, issues affecting black people. They don't feel straight people have a right to talk about issues affecting gay people. They don't feel men have a right to talk about issues affecting women. I think that's a lot more than six percent of people yeah. that do have that point of view.
1: Well, but, was, but we don't hear just about affect, affecting black people. You hear about when Kavanaugh. Let's say we don't need to hear from white men about uh, sex, you know Kavanaugh. They literally bring race into it. It's 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 it speaks for itself. Right. It's, no, it's I do not think
4: it's more than six percent. I mean, uh, empirically, I think the the number of people who had subscribed uh, a view that's at least adjacent to that is significantly larger than 6%. On the other hand, it ain't 40% either. Maybe it's basically we're talking about very right. liberal educated people, particularly whites, okay? And that is, you know, we're talking about maybe 20% of the population yeah. and there's a subsection of that or on twitter who are even more influential but these yeah. people do not represent the views of even you know other democrats really i mean they represent the views of people who live in cities like you guys are in <laughs> who are educated and uh liberal liberally inclined in some way so uh yeah i mean it's weird i mean basically people like you guys and me i suppose and we uh we control the commanding heights of cultural production And so this is what people hear about all the time. They hear views that reinforce these, um, what I would call anti-humanist, anti-universalist views that used to be the currency of the left. It's all very bizarre, and it's really taken off in the last, I'd say, 15 years or so, uh, peaking in 2020. Do you think it could have taken off without social media? That's a good question. I wrestle with that. Uh, I think social media has clearly been an accelerant. Whether we would have what we have now in some form anyway, I guess I tend to think that, but it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, I would hate to put it all at the door of social media, but I do think social media has amplified this trend considerably. It keeps people in line.
1: That's the thing. I mean, everybody I know who who feels the way we're all seeming to agree on, uh, most of them are afraid of anybody catching wind of the fact they feel this way and the the reason they're afraid of that is because the wrath of social media not only can just you know reduce them to 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 Mm -hmm. tears
4: but people get fired for this stuff you know uh social media plays a key role but i do think we should not underestimate the role of institutional structures and pushing this stuff, if you're in academia, if you're in a corporation, if you're in a nonprofit agency or whatever, there are people around, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether they're on social media or not, the HR department, uh, the, the people, who the administrators who run the place and are terrified of any kind of blow up, uh, they will come down on you like a ton of bricks, potentially, uh, if you are viewed in a certain way. So, again, social media is part of the equation, but there are actual human beings and structures, I think, that are at this point have a big influence on how people are treated and, and it produces a lot of the fear you're talking about absolutely it's based on fear if people weren't afraid of being hit upside the head with a 2 by 4 so to speak uh, they would uh, say say things a lot differently than they frequently do
1: yeah i mean obviously when 80% of the country feels a particular way and we don't and it's not readily obvious to us that 80% feel this way something is going yeah, on to suppress on. it yeah um Okay. Uh, this, let's add another log on this fire. America benefits from the presence of immigrants, and no immigrant, even if illegal, should be mistreated. But border security is still important, as is an enforceable system that fairly decides who can enter the country.
4: Did Eric Adams say that? Uh, he did. Now,
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that, well, this is such a deep issue. First of all, for years, I, you know, anybody listens to this podcast, know I used to say. I used to defend people in these border towns. I'm like, "Do you really think that you understand what it's like to live in a border town? People just assume that people in border towns that are complaining and complaining uh it's only it could only be racism. It couldn't ever be that i mean it might be some racism, but it could never be that you know this taxing of resources and Is changing an the it- real it problem can-
4: I'm sorry. It's actual real problem. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like their lived experience.
1: <laughs> and and so you know, this this inability to put uh yourself in someone else's shoes is a, is a huge problem throughout our politics. And all of a sudden now in a sanctuary city, you know, we're we're, we're feeling the pinch of um what what is it? How what's the number of how many 100,000 I believe a, a a month or a week, whatever. a lot of, you know, it's be. And uh, the guy said, well, you've got to stop this. New York will end. It's the end of life for New York. And, of course, and right, now it's right. not now it's not racism anymore. Now it's right.
0: So this is absurd. I do think there's some uh, uh, misunderstanding uh, as to the economic consequences of immigration. Uh, I think most economists think that it's an it's a net positive um, on the economy. Uh, you know, I I I don't know what. Well, you know, net
1: statistics are very very fraught because we're talking about
4: aggregate welfare here. There are sectors of society, low income, low wage workers in particular, who are definitely affected by it.
1: But okay, so immigration is an uh, is an interesting issue for me. Um, I grew up in a you know home of immigrants. Both my parents were immigrants. Uh, Tremendous respect for immigrants. We were involved in. Things like, you know, hooking up illegal immigrants, being involved in people who got married in order to get papers, all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a certain uh, hypocrisy that anybody is prone to when you actually, when somebody's flesh and blood, you know, and you, you don't have the heart to imagine somebody. And uh, But you can't, you can't make policy by just allowing everybody's hypocrisy. You have to know somehow, it's like, listen, I know I've done these things, but I certainly do understand that the United States of America might have to make tough decisions. Um, and then
4: mm-hmm.
1: what I've noticed, and I, and this began to disturb me, is that the immigrants uh, like that I knew growing up, these were the most patriotic people. These were yes. people who were raised in the fucking American flag every day. There's a famous a documentary about Yasha Heifetz, the violinist. Every morning he'd hoist this American flag. Tremendous, tremendous appreciation for the fact that uh, America was there. They... Kiss the ground of this country, never to mm-hmm. return. Right, and that has changed. I I began to perceive it in my employees, and I would ask them, "Well, do you see yourself as you know, as a descendant of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington?" Look at me like, "What are you crazy?" No, of course not. Do you Those racists. <laughs> and yeah, and um,
4: yeah, right, right, and, right, and, right. And, You know,
1: and and I embrace that fiction for some reason. You know, my my grandparents are from the shtetl, but I still think of these, you know, the founding. Of America philosophically,
2: not, you're all riding on the shoulders of what's been produced by, but I, but I feel
1: it deep within my bone. My right, father, right. who wasn't born here, yes. could be reduced really? to tears by a yes. patriotic scene in, yeah. in sure. the movie, you know, so and I began to think, wonder, like what's going on could is it because some of these cultures have been taught to be wary of America? Is it because the The parting is no longer as drastic as it was. We have cell phones and and cheap travel and whatever it is. Like once my family left Russia, you know, they were never going back. Mm -hmm. Um, And then then to add to the other thing that, you know, rattles around in my brain about this, how dangerous it is to – have all this going on
2: mosaics don't work is what you're
1: saying when we are preaching the idea that identity is the most important thing it's no longer like e pluribus unum it's like what happens if unum doesn't want to be or pluribus doesn't want to be unum anymore and and as right. and and that becomes the highest ideal is to keep your identity keep your identity and then all of a sudden you could begin to look at immigration as this is going to ruin us not, No, my, not, not out of any animosity towards any immigrant god forbid Mm-hmm. that the mixture of so many different people who may not even agree on patriotic feelings for better, yeah. being encouraged to see themselves as different this is this is how nations come apart
0: no am I, in, yeah. insofar in so far as you're That's uh, scary to me yeah you know your your uh, belief that the founding fathers are your spiritual Ancestors Not the slaveholders But the rest of them Well, they were all (laughs) Most of them were I think except Joe Okay, fair enough (laughs) Um, I I would think for somebody That's not white Somebody that's Indian um, Certainly for somebody That's African American But even somebody That's Indian Japanese Chinese uh, What have you Would be hard For them to feel A connection With the founding fathers Because I think They know that The founding fathers Probably wouldn't have Appreciated them being here
4: I don't think that's true But let Roy answer yeah, I don't think that's true. I think actually, um, if you look at the actual views of most of, of the people in these buckets, if you certainly look at the history of the United States about how immigrants sort of absorbed the history of the United States, I mean, there's typically an understanding that, yeah, they weren't exactly like we are today, and they didn't have exactly the attitudes we have today. But by God, they founded America, and I like America. I am patriotic. I think on net, it's really a great country. Right, well, and you I be think patriotic that's when... what you find among the most recent immigrants to this country today. If you find, you know, talk to Asians, you talk to especially Hispanics. I find that. They're well, yeah. Extremely but patriotic I... and are actually, yeah. um, that's one of the things that's pushing but them I was away speaking, from the Democratic speaking, Party. Speaking
0: specifically to a connection to the founding fathers that Noam was talking about. One could be patriotic and still not feel that kind of deep right. connection to the founding it, fathers. It's
1: more of a, a metaphor, but I, I will tell. Um... Yeah, metaphor. I, I would tell a, a a story that moved me. I I had a uh, nobody told my wife I spoke about this on the podcast, please. I had a Korean girlfriend, first generation, off the boat Korean, and her parents were both Korean, and uh, the parents didn't speak much English. And it was November, and she said, do "You want to come over to my parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner?" I was later disinvited, by the way. But anyway, do you want to come to my parents' <laughs> house for Thanksgiving dinner? I said they have Thanksgiving dinner, and she's like, "Yes." The first thing my parents did when they came to America wow. was to make sure that they embraced these traditions. Yeah. And I said, "Wow, that 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 kind of spirit mm-hmm. is is can overwhelm even a racist. You know, like that that is so powerful to me that this you know Korean family would be celebrating Thanksgiving as far as uh, the the, the racial thing. I think there is one group of people, obviously African Americans in this country, who we have to understand uh, uh, have uh, ambivalence, and will always have some ambivalence to our history, and that's as human as as anything can be. Although many of them are quite patriotic, probably, most of them probably quite patriotic, but of course that that has to enter into their psyche. But other than that, I don't see why any
4: Indian people or Asian people or sure. anything
1: like that would, would have that uh, uh the
4: most unpatriotic group in America are heavily college educated liberal group called the Progressive yep. Activists. That's the one it's like eight yep. or nine percent of the population. They're the what? only ones who are not proud to be an American. Everybody else proud to be American. Black, Hispanic, Korean, you know, you name it. Uh they're all proud to be American, but progressive activists, nah eh. Why you know, this country is 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 you know it's yeah, Why and screwed why, up is, that? Because why they, is that? Because they basically concentrate on all the negatives about American history from slavery to imperialism. Why to do they do whatever that? the problems are today? Because they're they're pretty radical. They're deracinated. They believe in identity politics. Yeah. They don't believe in real politics, which is actually the process of building real coalition. They just want to witness, right? They want to morally witness against the evil that is America, right? And that's their politics. But it's that's that's non politics. That's uh, it's also you know, without any consideration
2: of of human nature and what what the conditions are like in almost every other country on planet Earth. It just seems to remove the paradigm of global consideration and reduce it to something that's, uh, you know, as if human nature hasn't been human nature for thousands of years, as if they had... anyway.
4: Right. Yeah. So no. Let, look, let, if you look at our country in world historic context, it's pretty good. Yeah. No.
1: Precisely <laughs> on net
4: balance, <laughs> right. pretty good. It's it's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, right, I, right. I,
1: it's shocking that people. I, there's some graphs like on Stat News or whatever it is dot com. It shows like the freedom in the world, uh, and it, it's it's like flat, and then 1776, the entire yeah. world, and, and all sorts of things that just... You can see it's America that's moving the needle for the entire planet, that everybody everybody who has these things on planet Earth owes it to America. And we saw this like in Hong Kong where they're carrying American flags. Right, absolutely. The they get absolutely. it. Absolutely. They like, get it. You know, like some white liberals, you know, they, they probably... We're shocked. Like, why are they
4: carrying an American yeah, flag? The flag of For, fascism. And the yeah, only consideration well, is a mean,
2: relative consideration, right? I mean, uh-huh. Musk made the point about the British Empire being on on balance, uh, reasonably humane relative to other imperialists.
1: All right,
4: that, that's, that's a difficult All right, issue. So, I don't, uh, careful, careful. I, don't, I think I don't... there's some truth to that, but it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a definitely a tough issue. Let
0: me just reiterate, I was not questioning the patriotism <laughs> of any group. I was questioning whether they feel a connection to the right. Founding Fathers so, and okay. how long we can expect to see these men on our currency.
1: Okay, so, so let, let's take some other issues here. And by the way, mm-hmm. I, I fantasize about what, like, a, if Bill Clinton had the opportunity to be president right at the moment that Joe Biden became president, mm-hmm. I really feel like he would have done some things differently. He would have been, he would have triangulated uh um, oh, sure, much more than Biden. Biden and I was sure Biden was going to do that on some of these issues, but instead he seemed to mm. dig in.
4: Am I wrong? Yeah, he's a he's a prisoner of the party as it's currently constituted.
1: He's a what? I'm sorry. A prisoner, prisoner of the, of the party. party. Yeah, prisoner I mean, of some party,
4: presidents yeah. put their imprint on the party. Other presidents, the party puts their imprint on him. And I mm-hmm. think he's the latter.
1: So did you? Did you? And the, the bubble is not helping us. Did you see this video going around yesterday of? Uh, John Kennedy is that, uh is, is he from Louisiana, Kennedy the senator? You know who he is. Anyway, he's there's a hearing. One running for president, and it, it's about it's about banning books. No, uh-huh. and uh, and he starts. It, it, I should you know I should have prepared better. Like, you know, give me two seconds. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll uh, actually. You know what, Nicole, look up Kennedy he's from ban-
3: Louisiana.
1: From Louisiana, yes. And what's and, and so were they banning books, in Louisiana? So there's a hearing there and he starts reading from the books horrors they ban books and he starts reading from the books that are going to, it, that uh, children were able to access in the library and it's it's porn yeah, and then
4: yes. he's- no, I, this is like pretty well established i mean do you want gender queer in your uh, kids elementary school library probably not and, but and, i mean it's all become sort of transformed into this ap- apocalyptic culture yeah, I, I don't know what you mean by they gender- just want to like Prevent you from reading mouse or something, you know, and it's like that's the true outlier. Things like gender queer are like the norm of what people want to get rid of, and I say good for them.
1: Yeah, well, so it was it was horrifying stuff, and then he spread my butt. I, can't, I mean, I don't want to say, and he looked that I know his...
4: exactly what you're talking about. And,
1: and and the the senator reads it reads it, and he was. I mean, this guy's a good performer. He read it slowly and matter of factly. You know, he was he was he was good boy. And then he says to the guy, "Well," and he, and he knew the guy wasn't going to answer him, so he tried to rein him in, but the guy still didn't answer him. He says, "Now, what would you? What is it that you advocate here? Is is your position that you want a librarian to be able to choose what?" Whether kids can or can't read this and that the rest of us, us parents or whatever, have should have no say in this, what exactly do you want? Mm-hmm. And of course the guy wouldn't answer him, but then yeah, homina, 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 yeah. and and getting between uh, um, parents and kids is something I want to go to next. But then it occurred to me that only Fox News is going to play that video. And and conservative Twitter. I'm saying, why wouldn't this be a video that mm-hmm. would be shown even on a liberal network. What's so, I mean, he's making a solid point. And what are you afraid of? Maybe you have an answer on the liberal network. Maybe you want to bring somebody to say, yeah, of course, that's exactly what we want. We want the librarian. But the fact that, of course, both sides do it, that they, they no longer answer the tough issues that the other side is throwing up. They hide under the table and and they don't cover them at all.
4: Yeah. I call that the Fox News fallacy, which is that if anything is being mentioned on Fox News, then there's obviously it's a made up, meretricious, deceptive, awful, hateful, bigot type story. We cannot cover it uh, in our regular media and we should just deny the problem even exists. So I think that contributes a lot to the bubble you're talking about that a lot of Democrats and liberals have inserted themselves in. I mean, these are the kinds of things they talk about in Fox News because they talk about it on Fox News. There's absolutely nothing to it and good people will stick their fingers in their ears and pay no attention. It's crazy, and this, this, you know, this issue of getting between.
1: Now, uh, I'm a parent. Harriel's a parent. Uh, Dove is a parent. I don't Woo-hoo. know. if Dan will ever be a parent. It's not
0: in the cards for him. This doesn't is not look. The it doesn't for look like it, no. <laughs> but uh, but I do have opinions.
1: This issue of the state. He's a great uncle. This issue I mean, of the state
0: getting in between the parent
1: and the child.
0: Are you referring to the California? Uh,
1: well, it's all over, you know, on, on various things like this book thing or like trans issues or, or basically any issue sure. uh, is so upsetting to me. I know, I know there are terrible, horrible parents out there who, if you give me the details, I would say, yes, the state has to relieve that parent of duty because that's a terrible parent. But then I would say, but don't you dare use as an excuse to then decide that I should no longer be the main deciding factor in how I'm going to well, handle... My the issues for my child. Right. I can't believe they think they are not gonna step on a landmine if I mean once Trump passes from the picture and all the diamagnetic forces I looked that word up, which is tremendous the, word. when you put two good. magnets good. up and they push that. No them. once very the diamagnetic force of Trump is gone no, and there's some reasonable face in the Republican Party, right. I think they've left themselves open to a tremendous right. return to reasonable people. Because mm-hmm. of these crazy positions like this.
0: Well, what? what, what, what mm-hmm. Give me an example of where uh, the people are trying to get in between the parents. The and
1: idea the child. that, the, that the, the school could keep a secret from you that your child is transitioning to another gender. I mean,
3: um, what right? does that have to do?
1: Right. With- no,
4: that is absolutely true. There's like, I think there's 12 or 14 states now where that is part of law that if your child decides, you know, they're a boy and they decide they're a girl. They changed their pronouns and they changed their name. You are not allowed as a school to tell the parents and you must treat the child within the school by their new gender pronouns and name. And I think that is, you know, that's that's I think that's friggin crazy. But that's that's the deal in a lot of places now. And of course, California is a famous example of this, where there's a district that tried to opt out of that. And now the attorney general of California is suing the district. Should we
3: also talk about all the parents well, who are moving their children and their families to different states no, because of trans rights and they feel like their children aren't safe in those states? I mean, that's that's
1: that's another issue. That's well, fine. I, 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 I will, will say that, that w- the parents get to decide.
3: I will say that when
0: I was uh, 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 in, in therapy as a as a 12 year old, or 13 year old.
1: As a 12-year-old girl, go ahead. No, exactly. A <laughs> 12-year-old, <just very,
0: laughs> 12-year-old cisgendered male. We didn't have that term then, but, um, you know, right. the therapist said to me, everything in this office is a secret unless you're planning to kill yourself or somebody else. So it who, ended who, up not- Who took you to the therapist? My parents. Oh, well, there you go. But anything I—as my parents took me to school, but anything I said in therapy— my parents were not entitled okay. to know Okay, let's... so there
4: are was well, that the
1: no. same your local government no. there are situations
0: school? where that kind of secrecy is
4: appropriate. Mm. Yeah,
3: but they were not. this is not one this of them. This is
4: not one of them.
3: I don't, <laughs> first of all, I, don't, I don't know what these laws
4: are specifically. First of, all, first of all, let me say this.
3: What if the child doesn't want the parent to know because the home is not a safe place for them to be transgender? You do know that there are children that going to school is the only yes. place where they feel safe being trans. While
1: you were sleeping, I actually I, I actually made a a, a a nod to that argument.
4: But I do understand There's some parents who who are so horrible... Well, it should be investigated. If you, if there is reason to believe that that child is in danger, then, okay, yeah, that should be considered. Okay, so I it should wait, not assume off the, off the, you know, sort of automatically that we cannot tell the parents. We cannot, we will not. I think that's I wanna, wrong, and I don't I think parents add are another, going I wanna, to be into let that. You
1: guys both talk. I want to add another point to this. You also have to understand that the people who are making these decisions in these school systems are the most mediocre – bureaucrats. Not, not that there is even actually good science that the geniuses of the world can agree on about these issues. But these people, we know them. They're like guidance counselors with a degree from a community college. And, and they are now empowered to make the most consequential decisions. And by the way, you know, I'm, I've made this joke on, on the air. I'm building a new comedy club around the corner. And it's impossible to do anything. If I want to pull some tables and chairs out from the previous restaurant, I have to literally get six or eight weeks just to, if I wanted to make really consequential decisions about changing the gender of my seven-year-old, I would face no regulation, like, right. you right this way, Mr. Dorman, whatever you say, but don't you want to, no, no, it's fine, I'm sure it's fine. The The, the, the juxtaposition of the crazy amount of regulation, which by the way, bogs the Democrats down in their own programs i believe in terms of what they want to get done because the regulation is everywhere but this idea Ooh. that anything that risky like pu- you know pulling out banquettes requires such oversight and then this kind of like no no if the guidance counselor says she's a woman your child that's fine. It's incredibly well, ironic
0: I, 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 I don't know senseless quite what the laws are i don't know if it's just as simple as the guidance counselors but maybe i, I would say this my guess is you said that uh, you know there are some parents that are that are that are bad. I would think most parents just like most comedians suck. However, um they they they're better than I guess than anybody else as far as raising your child is concerned. But one point that people have made on social media quite a bit is if your child doesn't want you to know uh, there's a problem. And your child knows perhaps better than anyone what's safe and what's not safe for the, for the child at home. Uh, there's some merit to that argument. I don't know if it's a perfect argument, but, so, but your, your children would know, Noam, know that it's okay to talk about these things with you. because Not, you, not with their mother.
4: <laughs>
3: and, and I wasn't sleeping. I heard what you said. The, the, the problem is is that the parents that you're talking about, most of whom are not, quote-unquote, horrific parents. Maybe they're just religious. Maybe they just have different views that, in many cases are in direct opposition.
4: Okay, so, 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 so what's wrong with that? They're entitled to their view about yeah, whether they're, their they're kid who's decided, you know, suicidal. yesterday they're a boy instead of a girl. Um, no, is that a actually, good idea? Well That's fine. Well, it's that's not fine. fine. Well, Periel, there's two issues. We're, 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 they're we're entitled to their opinion.
3: That's our They're to. entitled to their opinion, but they're are they entitled to their opinion to what extent? To the extent of ruining their child's life? So, so oh, How are on. they
4: going to ruin their child's life simply by knowing what they are proposing to do and perhaps having a discussion with about it? Maybe getting them some some therapy about why they're gender dysphoric as opposed to like throwing puberty blockers at them. I mean, well, come on. Well, that's fine. What, what, mean, what, is, they, what is the they, harm here? Are they going to like? you know, sort of crucify them or they go, what are we going to do? Do you have kids?
3: I have kids. Absolutely. So so if your kid was like, whatever you do, don't tell my father, wouldn't that be like a red flag? Would that be concerning to you?
4: Look, any kid who's, I mean, anybody can say, you know, it's not safe to talk to my parents. So don't talk to them. They're abusive. That's one What if thing. they're
3: not abusive? Okay. Okay. We've we
4: got, we got, we got to move past Well, if this. they're not abusive, then why should there be a school policy that says we never, never tell parents what's going on?
1: <laughs> We've got to move past it, but I would only make the point that there is the merits that you're arguing, and then there's a the question of whether it's smart politics for the Democrats. I think that you may be – most parents, as the as the state seems to, to more and more, more boldly feel like they should be the main decider of what's in the, the – better for our kids, I think they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of, of elections. But we'll, we'll see what goes on. So um, we're going to run out of time. So let me, let's bring up uh, an issue here, which is uh, interesting to me. The Biden age issue. Um, we're seeing all of a sudden, it's perfect timing. Uh, um, what's his name in the Washington Post, The the, the, uh, the national affairs correspondent who wrote the column today? Short guy. David Ignatius. Okay. Uh, wrote a column, oh, yeah. Ignatius. Right. Yeah. He
4: said
1: Biden shouldn't run. Uh, wrote a column uh, uh, yesterday mm-hmm. about how Biden should drop out. Andrew Sullivan wrote a column, how, and, how Biden should drop out. Joe Scarborough, who's very influential, said on the air that every single per- every single person he speaks to, not 99 percent. He said 100 percent of the Democrats he speaks to think that Biden should drop out. Um There is a kind of what I think is a little bit of a shallow thing that goes around saying, well, everybody knows when Kennedy ran against Carter, that was the end of Carter that caused Carter to lose. So this is a on a sample size of one. This would be a mistake for anybody to challenge Biden. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Um, But I think that, uh, well, I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm going to let you're the expert. So what what are your thoughts on all this?
4: Well, my 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 sort of judgment on whether this thing is going to come to pass is no. I think Biden is not going to step aside. He is too old. He is a weak candidate in many ways, but he is not going to step aside. Uh, we're st- Democrats are stuck with him. And unless he does a face plan or two, uh, he's going to be running in 2024. I mean, it's a huge liability for him. There was just a poll that came out a day or two ago. They asked both respondents, both about Trump and Biden. <laughs> they thought they were too old. Biden, it was like eighty percent said he's he's too old to be president, really effectively. And then for Trump, you know, it was the it was not exactly the reverse, but most people said no, he's not too old to be president. You know, he's he's, he's, okay. he's okay. So you have one candidate who's running, and everybody thinks he's too old to be an effective president. Running against another candidate who most people think is you know vigorous enough to be president, right? So this is this is a real liability. Um, and if I had my druthers, yes, I would put another candidate in place of Biden. I just think given the political realities of the Democratic Party today, uh, that's not going to happen. Nobody's going to step forward. Um, and whether they should or not is really another question, right? I mean, if somebody stepped forward that just ensure that Biden loses, uh, I don't know. But is, is, I don't think anyone's even going to try.
0: Now, what if William Shatner wanted to run? Now, he's 92, <laughs> but he's no normal 92-year-old. This Yeah, guy went rested the space- and ready. He went into space. So, so
1: I, I think that uh, I, I'm I think Biden will not be the nominee. I'm not going to say. I, really? Uh, wow. OK. And and the reason I think it is the five. First of all, these polls that you're citing, these are already um, he's already carrying the damage that John that uh, Ted Kennedy did to to uh, President Carter. Mm-hmm. And also at that time, when Carter ran, I'm old enough to remember I, I would imagine way more of the country could say, you know, I could see myself voting for the, the for uh, the Reagan or Carter or Republican or an, or a Democrat. So, you know, if I get turned off to this guy, yeah, maybe I will vote for the other guy. Now, there's fewer and fewer people who are even um, uh, persuadable. Really, it's a and turnout is a, is a big thing. But mm-hmm. Trump, Trump, it would be better for both parties to get rid of their candidates, but the The Republicans are saddled with the fact that Trump is tremendously popular, but Biden is not popular among the Democrats. And I feel like just the way things normally work out, that force of gravity Mm -hmm. of the fact that we have a candidate, we don't (laughs) think he's good for us, uh, uh, sooner or later, that will overcome. And if, if it may not overcome in the fact that somebody actually challenges him right but there have to be rules that specify what happens when a candidate dies is incapacitated or drops out and i feel like there's some scenario where there can be a controlled demolition where biden runs he gets the nomination and uh-huh. then he succumbs to the 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 obvious pressures and is able to essentially choose his successor, and I know people say, "Well, then he'd have to choose Kamala Harris, otherwise it's, it's all over." I well, think that is
4: a reasonable. Point.
1: <laughs> I think my my feeling is that the outrage, and we've seen things like this happen. The outrage of passing over Kamala Harris will dissipate in three days because I don't think there's actually any real constituency that doesn't get that she's. Oh, I think my. it's all. You are an optimistic
4: cuss, I must say. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think. So. Okay, so President uh, Whitmer or whoever. Uh, Klobuchar, you know, Whitmer, or Newsom, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Newsom, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I think Newsom would, would probably lose. I think, he's, think he, would lose. he would I don't know enough about out. these people, but yeah.
1: um, I know they're not saddled by their age, and I know no. that they're not saddled by the growing scandal. And uh, by the way, do you remember – And it's really something I went back and reread it all the articles in the Atlantic and stat about how we're so worried that Donald Trump has cognitive decline, serious (laughs) cognitive decline, because he doesn't speak as well as he did. 20 Those years ago. Those were the
4: days, yeah. All right, <laughs> now we have this massively articulate uh, older gentleman in charge. Not a single
1: yeah. article, not a single article, not a single, you know, and you're not even supposed to do it, it was unethical for these doctors to even yeah. speculate, but that they threw it all to the wind. The, this exposes, and this is why the right hates the left so much, it exposes such hypocrisy in the, the you know, the reliable media. And and I feel it too, I'm I'm angry at them. And you'd think, where are the editors? Is not the person in charge of The Atlantic or The Times or whatever it is? Don't they have some shame where they say to themselves, you know what? We did run this article. So it's it's only proper if we do the
4: same article now. They can't bring themselves to do it. Yeah, it's moral clarity, baby. The uh, journalism has been going downhill for a while. But I think it took a big turn in the George Floyd summer with the uh, popularity of, you know, we must have journalism that has moral clarity.
0: Well, did you see? So and listen it to doesn't the ep-
4: have a lot to do with journalism. That's then. Then you're basically talking about advocacy. Well, and you, I think that's you what a lot of journalism a, now is. Did you hear Noam
0: uh, eviscerate uh, Philip Bump uh, a couple of episodes ago? I don't know if you listened to it.
4: Oh, I heard about it though. Yeah. I, I did not. Want, I, but I yes, it was covered, and it it, it sounded delightful. Uh,
1: yeah, I, 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 I still I still actually feel bad <laughs> about it because the last thing I want to do and to any guest. I like a good fight. <laughs> I like a good argument. I like of course I like to win a good argument. And the last thing I want is anybody to become a you know, a kind of a laughing stock or whatever. I, I don't even know what the right way to describe right. it.
4: he's got a perch, don't worry about him. He writes regularly in the post, he cashes his paychecks, he's got a big audience, you know. I mean he may be a laughing stock to you, yeah. but I assure you for most of the people who religiously read him and believe right. his analysis, he's probably as solid or ever. In fact, it was probably a badge of honor that, that you went after him. So. Maybe the, the ratio on Twitter was <laughs>
0: certainly
1: on Twitter, fly. it doesn't on Twitter, Twitter Twitter where it all happens, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and on YouTube. I mean, everywhere it was, uh, it right. was, it, it was, Yeah, no
0: one defended him. Now, no that one. doesn't mean that, that you're not correct, that he has plenty of plenty of people that, that are on his side,
1: yeah. And I also, don't want us to turn off uh, future guests. So, we were, it looked like we were going to get uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, Ooh, then as soon as this as, as soon as this Philip Bump thing came out, uh, we never heard from him again. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: come on. fact I thought he liked the well, mix We, it we don't it up. know What's that that was the
1: cause of it. But we don't know. But it's a uh, it's uh, you know, it's the most likely. He life- would
4: have next- done his rap for you guys. It would have been it would have been awesome.
0: Well, I thought that the, the, the reason he'd want to do this show is because of the Bump interview, because the Bump interview, he was probably rooting for you during that interview.
4: Well, he's
1: very vulnerable, I think. Although I reread it yesterday, I, I might have tempered my position a little bit but that transcript where he seems to think that there are some open questions about 9-11 that haven't been answered that was pretty weird. Place. <laughs> he, yeah. he
0: wouldn't
4: i mean i would i would just want right. to be straying into rfk junior territory well, the problem yeah. with noam and this
0: show in general is we don't we're not necessarily on the right we're not necessarily on the left it sort of depends on the issue so so anybody is subject to a skewering. No, nobody can be here, perfectly here.
4: safe. We orthodox you know, people have to stick together.
0: Maybe this is the last thing. There,
1: there was an yeah. awful lot. You know, when we were kids, the they'd have the you know the Times and the you know the, the reliable papers and Newsweek and Time Magazine, and mm-hmm. then in the supermarket you'd have the National Enquirer, and we all kind of knew this was the, the the crazy talk, and it would have you know right. you yeah. buy it maybe for fun, but there's an awful lot of National Enquirer type takes now which are being spouted out by people who are quite influential and 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 we don't realize the supermarket aisle stuff like, like vivek and the nonsense he's saying like tucker carlson saying well you know uh we have alien spaceship and the united states is studying them for hey, their don't of that a i've fact. been talking
4: to those people those aliens are, are nice they're they're, they're good <laughs> people huh. so they mean and, well and they want and, to help and, us and <laughs> RFK Jr.
1: And, and it's upsetting to me and disillusioning, actually, to realize that there are huge numbers of people who are prone to
4: these, not just conspiracy theories, but outlandish conspiracy theories. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, my, my main thought about that would be, I mean, I think people have always been somewhat susceptible to that. But I think when the mainstream media becomes Less trusted, right? But people don't think there are very many venues where you can be relied upon to like describe things as they really are without an agenda. I think just it pushes people in the direction of believing all kinds of crazy stuff because, you know, they can't rely on what they used to. So, sort of after a while, everything sounds plausible, right?
1: That's <laughs> and a I good think point. that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, after, after COVID and and listen, a lot, a lot of what went wrong in COVID, I think, was not in bad faith in terms of, you know, very unreliable data, moving target, things that appeared mm-hmm. to be one way turned out to be another way. But there was also clearly a lot of uh, noble lying going on Absolutely. and maybe even some money making in terms of covering for pharmaceutical companies. I don't know. But now that it's all come out and the and the fact that Sweden was in a disaster, all sorts of little things, masks, masks. Um, a lot of people really don't believe anything they read anymore,
4: right. and they'll point I mean, that we... exactly. I mean the faith in the public health authorities has has been severely eroded, and that's a really bad thing., it's yeah. a very bad thing.
1: how do, how do we is, it may not be fixable only time probably. well
4: they could i mean if, if they started like just playing it straight, you know, and developed a little bit of a track record of not basically trying to you know sort of pull the wool over people's eyes or pretend they know more than they do do more randomized controlled trials. <laughs> I think uh, that would be helpful. It'll take a while, but I think you start being a straight talker about this stuff and don't hide stuff from people. And after all, people will trust you more, but it has to be built back up. Well, there was an article
1: in uh, in an MIT publication and also Tyler Cowen picked it up on marginal revolution and, and uh, endorsed it, if I'm remembering his post correctly and and the argument was that um they held up the vaccine until after the election in order to uh to assure that Trump wouldn't benefit from it um and that that i mean the article's pretty convincing and the fact that Tyler Cowen believes it is also convincing to me because he's not a guy who's easily led by the nose uh and that art, that that issue hasn't even been fully air jet and it and it may end up being, and, and that's a trem- that's a terrible thing if that's true because uh, people died
4: it means yeah that yeah have- no it was i think there is uh, you know there's some there there and in addition i mean you could also argue that one thing that that also happened is that one of the most successful policies the united states ever had in terms of industrial and technological development was operation warp speed how much credit does trump get for that it's a brilliant success, but you know things are so polarized now that people are not willing to give credit to the other side for anything, even so when they do a great say- friggin' job, you know. So, so what does this say about the
2: future? Right, if history is any indicator, then the pendulum is going to swing back as far in the other direction as it did in the current one. So where does that leave us in in time?
4: Well, what do you mean by the pendulum? Do you mean like back toward common Distressed, sense? Away well, from- you know whatever's
2: <laughs> taking place in terms of defining what's becoming an increasing, uh, you know, more of a mosaic than a melting pot. Does this does this lend itself towards a future where patriotism becomes uh, more consolidated and more real for a higher percentage of the population, or do we just? disintegrate
4: (laughs) yeah i mean i you know i wish i knew but i don't i mean i do think the potential is there for us to move back toward a more you know out of out of many one kind of thing a more you know sort of standard democratic small l liberal approach to the country uh you know sort of get rid of cancel culture listen to both sides, you know, a non-crazy Republican Party and a non-crazy Democratic Party. I think it's all possible. I just think it's also possible for uh, a number of, you know, some considerable period of time forward. It'll just continue to be a big friggin' mess. I mean, okay. I don't want to be pessimistic here, but I, I don't see either party really changing too much in the near future. And of course, that's going to determine what our politics look like. But But I do think among the you know the 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 masses of honest workers and peasants in america people are getting mighty sick of a lot of this stuff yeah and i think that will eventually move things back in a probably in a better direction if we don't as you say completely fall apart
1: all right sir well it's been a, an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to not have a a, a contentious interview I had, I had another contentious interview with dan dresner you know who dan dresner is
4: yes yes i do Where he just uh-huh.
1: laughed at me you, you, you have to go you want to hear the laugh do you have a second? Okay, sure. So you know, this was on the issue of you know, David Brooks wrote that column, kind of, um, complaining about the way the elites look down on the deplorables, as it were, and uh, and I I thought Brooks had a good
4: column. You probably I thought it was that. a great column. Yeah.
1: I and was something
4: I wrote. Dresner
1: thought it was ridiculous, and he said, "Can you play it, uh,
4: Nicole?" Yeah. Why is it that so many people support a guy
0: who, by any objective standard, was a a bad president and B was really good at criming.
1: No, no, he, um, I can answer you know that. Wait, he was not a he was not a bad president by any objective standard. That's that's not. Oh. What well, you see now? See now, this is the thing. Now, now, listen, th- listen. You're you're actually making, keep laughing because you're making my
4: point. And I proceeded to
1: li- just rattle off accomplishments that the guy had. Right. You
4: know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a perfect example of the utter cluelessness yes. of the sort of liberal educated elite on American politics. They have no understanding of what normal people think and feel about the world. And as far as they're concerned, they're all a bunch of troglodytes who deserve to be laughed at. And that's and, why and, he was laughing. And, and Dresner also, what shocked me, he, he rattled off a bunch of things that weren't true. Like he
1: said, you know, manufacturing is up because of the Inflation Reduction Act. And I'm like, that can't be true because the Inflation Reduction Act was just passed, like you know, ten months ago, and you can't you can't do anything that fast. You but can't build the a factory, far- and start manufacturing well, in ten months.
4: And manufacturing construction has been up. Earmarks they're, from they're earmarks from it. <laughs> You're throwing money at it, and they're building right. stuff. But, but it misses that's the, the forest issue. for the trees. The
2: forest for the trees is <laughs> what was what the great Tushara just communicated, mm-hmm. which is this sort of the 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 default laughter associated uh, with what could otherwise be critical thinking about the issue yeah, are some there are
1: objective the yeah, the standards like employment Precisely. and and and, uh, and and wage growth right and but the problem was that laugh it was
0: the pick. well he wasn't laughing at uh, Trump supporters, maybe he was, no, but he was, was, ostensibly he, he was. was laughing at the notion that Trump wasn't a bad president. No, wait, he
1: said he said by any objective standard. And well, what are objective standards? You know, controlling the border. Well, maybe that's not objective. Maybe that's some people don't that want border control. a
2: caricature. But it
1: was not. Yeah. Economic indicators are certainly objective. Operation Warp sure, Speed waste is and certainly... income
4: growth was much better under I, I, than it has been under Biden. I mean, um, they just uh, they just released new income data. Uh, the census uh, yesterday. And if you look at the growth in income, the family uh, household income under Trump, it was it was great. <laughs> yeah. And it's down like uh, four or 5% since Biden took office. So, I mean, is that all his fault? Who knows? Was that all and to this... Trump's credit? Who knows? But the question is, there are objective indicators that would lead you to think, well, maybe he wasn't all bad. I mean, well, you some know, good wait, wait, stuff wait, wait.
1: And here are the two, and this last thing, here are the two really powerful tells of what Dresner said that really upset me. Number one, I said, and look, even the middle, even the tax cuts, they didn't, they didn't repeal them when they had the chance. He said well, they didn't have the votes. I said, no, no, they had the votes. And when they did talk about repealing them, they only talked about repealing the salt tax, which is the tax for the rich people, this, you know. So, and, and he he got that 100% wrong. And then what was the other? Thing? Oh, the other thing he had. And this is the the ultimate, I think, the most intellectually dishonest thing any my 10 year old in a half a second would have called this out he says trump was the only president to leave office with fewer people working than when he came in as if there wasn't a lockdown in a pandemic which by the way i'm sure dresser supported and i supported you know Uh, what kind of professor has the nerve to make an argument as utterly dishonest as blaming Trump for the fact that there were fewer jobs when he left office, a blindly partisan. Model. Is there some way to a- achieve a lockdown? You know, he's, just,
4: he's just being an advocate, not an analyst, and that just right. just drives me crazy. You know, but an I advocate, hate
1: even it. an advocate should be you know, like an advocate it's should be not better. Be, <laughs> not even a good advocate.
4: Yeah, it's, right. It's, it's, you I know, hear it's, it's,
1: it's a kind of advocate. You're not even advocating. You're just you're literally just preaching to the people who already agree with you. Any objective person says, "Listen." Can, I'm interested in this give me the arguments about trump they say wait a second but there was a lockdown anyway okay we have we have to go we have our next guest right
0: system. right yeah um oh. yeah we're doing a
1: double so if you come if you come to new york sometime on we'll get together with you and harry
4: and uh you guys i'll listen to you guys argue yeah yeah it'd be fun i might i'll be up there uh, i guess in november for an event so oh fantastic i have a book coming out let me plug my book where have Please all the do. democrats gone with john judas coming out november 7th pre-order today
1: Now, John Judas, you also wrote The Emerging Democratic Democratic him? That's
4: right. Yes, yes.
1: So, maybe when the book is out, maybe you want to come on again and talk about the book. I'll read it. Cool. That sounds great. great. Okay, pleasure,
0: sir. Thank you. Thank you. you, Bye, everybody.
1: Podcast at comicshow.com.